0: Tommy. <laughs> what are you doing, mate? Aduken. <laughs> oh <laughs> My I'm just done putting a podcast together. Yeah, I am um, do you remember, do you remember my mate from uni, uh, Dill? Uh, no. Oh, mate, you would have, you would have known him from the, the commerce balls on that, but, um, like, since, since uni, like, fucking since all those years ago, he's, uh, he's pursued comedy. He, like, he quit his accounting job. He's pursued oh, no. comedy. Mate, no not I know. oh, yeah. He's, uh, you know that TV show, My Celebrity Get Me Out of Here? And then, um, yeah, yeah, and then like Utopia, um, a few other shows, um, like those sort of comedy shows on ABC. Man, he's like, he's on Audible, he's on Stan, he's on Amazon. Oh, he's, really? Oh, fuck, he's queuing it. Oh, well done. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, when you say comedy, I'm just like, oh, uh, fuck, only does a really small percentage make it. Yeah, man, exactly right. So, and because he's performing, um, well, not now, obviously, with, with COVID, but he was performing overseas as well, like, international comedy festivals and, and that sort of thing, man. So, yeah, I had a podcast with him on, on Friday. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that's a hot. Like How it go? Yeah, good, man. Good. Like, um, <laughs> just good to sort of catch up with him as well, like, having, having known him since uni and, and seeing him progress and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, hey, Tom, um... The reason I called is because I want to use this phone call as an intro to the podcast. Is that all right with you?
1: Well, as in what we just, just did now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole shebang. whole shebang. can <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you can use it. That's awesome, man.
0: So, look, Dill. Um, man, you're, you're killing it! Like winning the Logies, <laughs> presenting at the Logies, performing international comedy shows, performing Thank on you, TV shows, man, and even even during COVID, like you've um, you've gotten onto is it Stan, Amazon, Audible? <laughs> <And you> were, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Audible's uh, my favorite one. Audible's my favorite one because
1: it's like, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big reader, so I'm just so chuffed <laughs> to be amongst other books. But, uh, but yeah, man, thank you so much. The cool thing about all of that is most of it was um, kind of recorded last year. So it Ah. has this sense that I've been active when in reality I've just been, you know, on my couch crying. (laughs) But (laughs) online, it's just so nice to have all this stuff just go out and look like, oh, look how busy the guy is. I'm like, no, I was busy last year. These are just the... You know that old adage about like planting seeds and you see the fruits later in the next season? Yeah. It kind of feels yeah. like that. I put in all that work and now the fruits are showing just when I need it because I'll tell you what, it's a scarce winter here. <laughs> oh, mate.
0: it's It's been absolutely like, I don't even think anyone's expected this or could have expected what's what's happening here. Like it's, it's yeah. nice. And do you know what the funny thing is? I find with this, like I'll see people out and about doing shit and then i'll get really upset and then i'm like why i'm out and about doing that exact same shit right 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 you
1: were like you should be home well it's interesting i kind of had a similar thought because well i I live in the city and i have to go to to get groceries which i like to think is essential and uh and then seeing people like skateboarding and mucking around and families having picnics and You know, big bunch of people just shopping bags that don't look essential. This was about a month ago or so, three weeks ago, when things were starting to rise again here in Victoria. Uh, I was like, guys, what are you doing? Like, go home. Come on, please. I can't afford another lockdown. And then bang, straight away.
0: Yeah, (laughs) almost. Oh, man. And I've I've never been so upset at two people hugging in public in my life. (laughs) Like, what's your living setup so who would you live with where do you live with i mean
1: where, where do you live
0: i mean um so I'm, I'm just on on my own now um recently on my yeah. own um yeah so yeah it's just sort of uh sort of gone through some shit during covid so um ended up um just sort of on my own which is fine and i'm coping, coping so mid covid the on on your own happened that's right oh drawer.
1: brutal oh man as someone <laughs> man. who's been alone for all of covid uh it, which i know is challenging in itself don't get me wrong but to have to have to transition from a particular sort of comfort setup to yeah. then uh a, a more furthermore, isolated setup must have been brutal so yeah i uh, hope you hope you're staying positive all things considered yeah
0: yeah man here's a
1: better question than a more serious one uh how do you maintain those eyebrows for fuck's sake because my (laughs) my uh, style the monobrow that i've got coming uh during lockdown is really bumming me out and i'm seeing
0: your perfectly done ones man do you know what i actually don't i actually don't touch these are you serious they're so thick that when i do this that like they just stay. They call me. Ah,
1: oh, they really. So they calmed out.
0: Yeah, that's but, so funny. I, I like yours. They they're like a bit fuzzy. They give me like a nice warm yeah, so feeling. Man, yeah. So
1: I have to get like wax get them waxed usually twice a week oh sorry not twice a week once every two weeks once a fortnight and um so now with uh with lockdowns i'm gonna have to i have to do it myself which is fine because you know it's it's tweezing instead of waxing but it just takes so long and it's so painful like each individual hair follicle having to be plucked out
0: versus you know having a lovely lady just wax some wax on me and then (laughs) rip it right (laughs) off Do you like that? Like yeah. that warm uh, wax feeling hitting your your face from like a look. Well, no, no, woman? really. It's
1: just because f- it's because it's five bucks in five minutes, and I'm out. You know. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. There's 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 no language barrier. We just <laughs> I just point. She sees it. She knows what I need. And the only <laughs> thing I have to stop them is from is, uh, trimming like anything on the top. They they always want to thin it out further. I'm like, no, 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 just the middle. Just get rid of the monobrow, please.
0: <laughs> um, man, I have the same. I have the same issue when I go to the barber like i uh-huh. i don't so i don't really touch my eyebrows i don't really do my beard and i like mm-hmm. i like it scruffy because i play the long game and the long term the scruffier it is the less maintenance it is for me
1: yeah yeah but, yeah but... that's what i did with my weight <laughs> <laughs> Mate, the fatter i was the wish. less maintenance
0: <laughs> <laughs> man you've you've like you've slimmed up heaps like if mm. if we look at you from, from years ago to now, man, is it is it purely just the running or are you doing like diet? No, no, it's or... mainly
1: diet. It's mainly yeah. diet. So uh, when did we last record a podcast? Oh man, I think three years ago. Three years ago. So yeah, I would have yeah. been bigger back then. And so yeah, uh, what I did was the way it all started was um, I was about, uh, you know, it was a uh, New Year's Eve, year, 31st of uh, December 2017 I was in Sri mm-hmm. Lanka I was about to go for a New Year's Eve party with my family and the shirt that I the one shirt I packed to go to Sri Lanka for this specific party it didn't button up and I was so like Ooh, I was yeah. like oh my god I've actually gone through the other end where my shirts aren't buttoning up now and so no one else I'm, I'm the biggest person in the house so yeah. all the shops were closed so I couldn't get a new shirt it was it was pretty like it was an awful feeling in that moment and I had to, I pretty much, I went with a black t-shirt and a jacket, so I still looked good, but, yeah. <laughs> but but I didn't feel mentally good. I remember after my third serving at the buffet, I was like, I need to make some changes here. <laughs> this is not, I don't want this to be every New Year's Eve. And I actually left that yeah. New Year's Eve party at uh, 1130 or so that night. I just couldn't, I didn't want to be around anyone. So I went home, slept it off, uh, you know, licked my wounds in the morning on the 1st of Jan. I said, all right, let me actually try and do something this year because i'd been a big boy for 25 years and yeah. so what i thought i should do is I, I decided i'm someone who gets motivated by my ego so i had a bet mm. with a friend of mine where he and i were similar weights around 125 and we decided the first yeah. of us to get under a thousand kilos with uh <laughs> well get first of us to get under 100 kilos wins a thousand bucks yeah. and so Ooh. that motivation kicked in because all of a sudden you know i'd always get on these health kicks where i'd get you know, a bit of a start, but then I'd get bored and then stop it. Whereas this time I can't stop it because if I do, then I have to end up paying a thousand bucks to a mate. So that kept me on track and, um, you know, eventually, so we tracked it all on a podcast called Fitbet, which we still do, uh, the podcast, but, uh, but yeah, the weight came off a lot quickly, quicker than we expected. So now we have like, you know, a lot of comedians and actors and stuff come and talk about their own kind of issues with health and fitness. Yeah. And yeah, that was the start of it. And so I've managed to keep it off since then. So yeah, the total amount at this point is about 40 kilos. So Ooh. yeah, it's it. Because losing it was easy. Just uh, keeping it off has been fucking, oh,
0: so hard. Really? How can Be- you find in keeping it off hard? Is it is Well, it because more... A, it's just, sorry, go. Oh, no, no, go, go on, go on. No, I
1: say because I think keeping it off is harder because uh, I'm so used to being lazy and overeating that it doesn't just shift overnight. So it's almost like having Mm. to like I'm fighting thirty years worth of bad habits every day. So it's like, Mm. like it's, it's over time. What has happened is for example, running was my initial exercise because when I was touring, it was hard to find a gym everywhere I went. So I thought at least if I pack my runners, I have somewhere that I can go for a jog, you know? So I decided running was Mm. going to become my regular thing. And so now running has got to that point where if I don't do it, I feel like crap. So I do it like three times a week. And I really enjoy running. So it's not even about health anymore. Now it's like genuinely excited to go for a run. Whereas with diet, for me, I haven't changed at all. (laughs) I am still (laughs) the exact same guy who just... Just basically, I, I, I have such weird wiring about food and love where like if I'm feeling lonely or if I'm feeling sad or if I'm feeling happy and I want to celebrate, all I can think about is ice cream and fried chicken. So no matter what the mood, <laughs> there's an excuse that my brain's like, let's have some fried chicken. It's like, well, well yeah. <laughs> hang on, I'm missing I'm missing mom and dad. Let's get some pizza. You'll feel better. You won't think about mom and dad if you have pizza. <laughs> you know. So I'm having to un- undo all that thinking almost on like an hourly basis and something like lockdown makes it even harder because at least in the old world I had my work to distract me whereas now in lockdown yeah. It's like this this muscle that is in your brain that's able to resist temptation is so overworked right now. Like it's like a bicep curl that you, yeah. you know, you even if it's two kilos, if you keep curling it at like the hundredth rep, you you're just like, I can't do it anymore. But it's yeah. like it's only two kilos, just say no. I'm like, I got <laughs> <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's a it's an overdrive there resisting uh, temptation.
0: Yeah, but do do you know what do you know what else I I find that once you once you get to a certain point of doing the same thing over and over that's just good to sort of change it up right mm-hmm. but um, what I find amazing about you is your cheat meals mate are just <laughs> the fucking next level
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and I think that's a good example of why I still struggle with my food is because I never fixed that binge eating, mechanism in my brain, I didn't fix it completely. So most people go on a diet. And so for people who don't know what I'm talking about, I diet for like six days a week where I don't eat carbs and sugars. Mm. Uh, And then seventh day, there's just no rules. I just do whatever I feel like. And that's the day that I'll wake up, back in the day, I used to wake up at 5 a.m. and start, (laughs) you know, ice cream at 5 a.m. and then finish the night with cocoa Pops. Like I just do whatever (laughs) I felt like in the moment. And so even though I kept losing kilos and fat, that brain had never adapted to the idea of being a person who looks after their health the the, yeah. the compulsive eating was given once a week was given an outing so it's like it's it's like it's it's like taming a monster you know what i mean yeah. i uh, yeah. i can't keep the monster permanently locked up because at some point it's going to break out and then destroy everything yeah. but if i once a week let it out on a leash then it can do its little bit of running around and destruction but then it comfortably goes back into the into the into the cage without arguing because it knows it's going to be back out again in six days yeah but if it doesn't know yeah it's just going to keep rattling the cage all week until finally the locks just come flying out. And it's going <laughs> to yeah. be ages. The cage is broken and it's going to be so hard for me to put the monster back in. I've got to buy a new cage. I've got to buy new locks. Instead, yeah. we have this agreement, the monster and I. We're just going to go for a walk once a week.
0: <laughs> well, man, look, that, 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 I think so. I, I prescribe to similar sort of mentality. Like I did, I did the whole low-carb thing and, hmm. and I slimmed up heaps. But I mm. found that I was just always tired. So it didn't really, didn't yeah. really work for me. But I, I'd also just have that one day where I'd, I would eat to the point where I'm, I'm like physically sweating. But yeah. I know I'm like tomorrow is the day I go back to just, you know, lean meats and greens. So I need to power mm. through this, whether I'm enjoying it right now or not. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's almost like I need to feel like shit so that the rest of the week I'm like, I felt so fucking terrible eating that like you know 15th (laughs) slice of pizza and ice cream that i'm not going to do this again for another week right yeah so well see i i i
1: i I had the same mentality for about a year or so uh even while i was losing weight but then i've changed because i realized it doesn't the long-term benefit isn't great when you have that feeling of eating till you feel like shit uh, yeah. not, not so much physiologically for me, it was mentally that mm-hmm. my relationship with food was like, was spoiled because now I'm forcing myself. So when I first started, I'd be like, Oh my God, because I'd list down during the week, midweek, I'd type into my phone what I was going to have on that cheat day. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, my capacity to eat is reducing over time, right? And yeah. and on that cheat day, I'm not hitting my, my targets. I'm like, oh, fuck, you haven't had Macca's Nuggets yet. You know, you were yeah. meant to have Nuggets. And yeah. So I'd go to McDonald's at like midnight, even though I'm fucking full. I don't want it. But this... Yeah addict behavior this sort of you know compulsive attitude like no just gotta have it because if you don't have it who knows when you'll have it again but now because i've been doing it for like two years i know to go hey you don't you're gonna feel shit it's gonna be an Mm. effort just have it next saturday you'll be fine like you know now i've learned that that next saturday is always around the corner but also i've learned that there's there was a um a test they did, I can't remember when, but uh, they gave these patients uh, saline, just saline, but said, told the patients that it was chemo. And even mm. though it was just saline, 60% of those patients had vomiting and nausea and, and you know, they, they, they reacted like they were having saline. But even scarier is that 30% of the test subjects lost their hair. Like that's how much our brain oh, can shit. convince us. To physiologically like adapt to what's happening. Like it, even though it was just saline, but they had convinced the brain had convinced the body, oh, it's chemo, it's poison, your hair's gonna fall out. And 30% yeah. of the subjects' hairs fell out. And so for me now, whenever I do cheat day, I I, I celebrate the shit out of it. It's like because it's built into my system, it's not yeah. looked at as something that I should feel guilty or shameful about. I'm yeah. like fuck yeah, we're having this. And it's like an absolute party. And if I, and it's the same with the rest of the week when I'm eating lean, I'm not like, ugh, fucking broccoli, uh, ugh, you know, uh, sauerkraut. I'm like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, Yeah. sauerkraut. And, you know, these are my proteins and (laughs) probiotics. I'm actually genuinely excited about the food, no matter which spectrum it fell on, you know? Because the problem that I was having is as a binge eater, as a compulsive eater, I Mm. was eating that tub of ice cream because I was feeling sad. But then I'd finish the tub of ice cream, then feel sad that I ate an entire tub of ice cream. And the only thing that can comfort me is fried chicken. Like it was just like <laughs> like a never ending cycle. Whereas if I said, yeah. oh, I'm feeling sad. So you know what? I'm going to enjoy the fuck out of this tub of ice cream. And then I would just smash it yeah. and then smile and go, that was good. I feel better. Good night, world. I'll see you in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> you
0: know? yeah. Dude, so do you, do you think, uh, would you say that you've got a bit of an addictive personality Oh, yeah. yeah. That, 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 that
1: might have to do with it. Mm. And that's why I think I learned not to fight against it as much as try and work with it. So I quit drinking yeah. four years ago. And so for me, booze was easy uh, to an extent because I had to say zero, which meant that I never, if we use that monster analogy again, that monster yeah. has been locked away in the cage for so long that it's dead now. Like, you know, it's just if I open that cage of Boozing Monster, it's like a rotting carcass. But I would not lie that during lockdown, it was the closest I came to wanting to have a drink again because it was so scary, the world that was happening out there and especially lockdown part one. And I have like a full liquor cabinet in my apartment and I almost gave it all away because I was scared about going back into it. But because weirdly, I decided to keep it in the apartment because now I've still stayed sober, which means that I must have well and truly gotten over that addiction because if yeah. i the only reason i didn't drink was because i said no rather than geography you know what i mean it's yeah, like yeah. if it was an effort to go and get the booze then you could say that maybe i was still too scared whereas now i'm like no it's right there i can probably grab it in 5 seconds and neck yeah. a bottle of wine in 4 seconds i reckon yeah. <laughs> i still got it i reckon but yeah. um, oh, mate, i reckon but, You remember those uni days, right? Yeah, I remember those (laughs) days. Don't worry. Well, like,
0: Um, kind of remember. Hazy,
1: but there's video footage somewhere, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, But there's... um, Yeah, I know, exactly. So for me, that's what happened with booze. That's what happened with video games. I had to stop playing video games uh, Mm. in my early 20s, I think, because uh, I just got so addicted to it. Like, I have a chipped tooth here from playing Mortal Kombat and grinding my teeth so hard that oh, um, that I was just like really into it. And I there's like a bruise here. Can't see it as much anymore from yeah. playing Need for Speed. So the arrow yeah. on there is at the bottom. So it was resting there for so yeah. long. So I just have a personality that when I'm into something, I just go super hard at it. And as my therapist said, like I used to yeah. always look at that as something that was a weakness. Like I'm like, fuck, mm. can't I just be balanced? She's like, well, maybe yeah. you're not. Maybe you're not one of those people. But instead, now that you're aware of it, you know pick and choose when that comes out. So yeah, yeah, I'll use it for when I, you know, want to apply myself to my comedy or to to yeah. fitness and to health and my family. Uh but when it comes to things like that are destructive to me, I'm not going to even try it. You know what I mean? That's why yeah. I've even though drugs are around me all the time in the comedy industry, I'm like, eh, mm. "It's not for me, thanks because that's that's yeah. uh, that's the end of it for me."
0: Yeah, look I think I think it's you, you, you know instead of sort of hiding the booze bottles the fact that you kept them there and mm. and you yourself were like okay it's it's literally within arm's reach and you you didn't do it anyways i think that's a bit of a a bit of a stronger test to your will and i think yeah. that's the that's the right way to sort of approach it in in my eyes like i have absolutely zero um you know professionalism behind this statement like i i don't know yeah. but from from just you know um my point of view i'm thinking okay if it's right there and you're not touching it anyways that's the sort of true testament to your willpower
1: right right and i think up until this lockdown i probably wouldn't have ever considered myself as someone who has good willpower because Mm. of the way my life has been yeah. I I I always describe myself as oh I'm terrible with discipline, mm. but I'm, I after this situation I went man you need to stop saying that because you've stayed f- sober for four years you've got yeah. your health in check you've got your exercises going you've got a. A career that you give a shit about yeah going going good and so maybe you do have discipline you know yeah. you just had the wrong you just applied your discipline in the wrong areas in the past which is yeah. why you never kept at it do you know what i
0: mean yeah exactly right but but man like um on that front as well like i, I do want to touch on and and i love i love hearing this story about that defining moment where you were you were thinking to yourself do you know what Fuck this accounting job and this career <laughs> I'm going to go pursue yeah. comedy. What was that defining moment? And, you know, if you feel like telling the, uh, the story about the whole uh, pants situations, go for it.
1: Ah, oh, <laughs> the pants. <laughs> well, yeah, so what happened was, it was that uh, I, I started working for one of the big four accounting firms and I was on probation for six months, smack bang in the middle of the financial crisis. And that was an awful six months because, you know, I just couldn't hack it. The, the at the level they wanted and you know i don't want to knock them too much as much as i will say my efforts weren't good enough because i would say my colleagues the the other grads that i started with they were doing fine but i just mm. couldn't apply myself i was in the office from like 7 30 in the morning till nine o'clock at night but they'd show up at like 8 30 and leave at six and they were fine whereas i was like you know i had those extra hours because i was mucking around so much in the middle because i just didn't like the work that i did and as someone who has previously always been like a high achiever it was like this personal you know shot to my identity to see myself quote-unquote failing at something i'm like i don't fail I'm, I'm a fucking you know if i apply myself i'm a gun at everything like why am i failing yeah. at this and i just yeah. realized that i might just my heart wasn't in it at that point and i and i just remember seeing a quote in a book that said there's no point crying cl- there's no point climbing up a ladder that's leaning against the wrong wall. And that really mm. resonated with me because I was like, fuck yeah, I'm keep trying to go up this thing, but I'm like looking at the top, I don't even want to be there. Why am I trying yeah. now if this is in yeah. the wrong direction, right? Yeah. So luckily for me, they let me go. Uh so I had to then reassess what I wanted to do with my life because if they didn't, I might have kept going and just plodding away because the money was good, the security was good. And, you Mm. know, the guilt of of my parents spending all that money on me to come to Australia and get this accounting degree, you know, all of that was still weighing on me as well. So that sense of identity was getting smashed as well, because it's like, oh, you know, my dad couldn't retire for years because uh, he was still paying for my uni education. And so, you know, the idea of getting fired from this job was just so awful. But then when it happened, it didn't feel as bad as I thought it was going to feel. As in, it still kind of sucked. The lead-up sucked. Uh, but then when it happened, I was like, well, all right, let's reassess. So if I did that purely for the money and I didn't like it, what if I went the other way around? If I had all the money in the world, what would I do with myself? And then stand-up comedy popped into my head straight away, like this big aha moment. But then I drank for like mm. another year. And it wasn't like a drinking <laughs> in terms of sadness. It was like drinking like, oh, my God, I'm not an accountant anymore. <laughs> it was yeah. just like a big trailer, right? <laughs> and then... Then after yeah. about a year, I think a, a lot of the time it was, I was too afraid to try comedy because I believe it or not, I have a fear of public speaking, or at least I used to have one. So the idea of yeah. doing it scared me, but also I think because it was such a childhood dream of mine to be, to try up comedy, just try, I just wanted to try it. Um, mm. I didn't want it to be bad at it because I'd already failed at the accounting dream. So then if I tried yeah. comedy and I fail at that, I'm, I'm failing at that dream as well. Like I was a bit too fragile to roll the dice yet, you know? So I needed that year to reset. And this is all in hindsight. At the time, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, you know, chasing the booze. But in hindsight, I realized yeah. that was what was yeah. happening. But um, yeah. eventually it got to the point where as painful as it was to, to, to try comedy, it was getting more painful to never have tried it. So yeah. I had to then go for that and just see what'll happen. And my first ever gig was shit, it was terrible. But I had never done anything that I'd enjoy the process of so much. So it was almost yeah. like, oh, I'm bad at this and I love it. My God, how good is it yeah. gonna get if I actually became good? Yeah. <laughs> so then yeah. I'd started working for a smaller accounting firm uh, at that point, And I went to my boss uh, there's only seven of us in the office. So i went and said to him, Hey, I'm so sorry, but I need, I need one day off a week. He's like, Oh, is yeah. everything okay? Why? I'm like, I'm going to be a comedian. <laughs> He's like, what? He's like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You can do that. Do that at nighttime. And I'm like, yeah, but I need a mental commitment during the day. He's like, well, you're sacrificing a day's pay to do something that doesn't pay any money at all. And I'm like, yeah, I just, it's an apprenticeship. It makes sense to me. Hopefully you can get on board. But I was like, yeah. I was just kind of like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And if he said yeah. no, I probably would have left and figured out an alternative plan. So did, a lot did of props do go to my boss. Pardon me?
0: Sorry, did your parents know at the time that you were? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It kind of did okay. feel like I was coming out a, a little bit at, to them yeah. as well. But uh, uh, but they they were supportive because of how sad I uh, was as in, in the yeah. big firm. And they saw how happy I was as a failing, as a failing comedian, I was happier (laughs) than I was as a, you know, a graduate accountant. So they were like, look, happiness being the priority of anyone's life, really just do Mm -hmm. that then. And I guess any parent, they're worried about your, they want to know you're going to be okay once they're dead. And, it was hard to show them that i was going to be okay because it was just you know one gig a week maybe and Mm. some of the gigs are like i remember driving to romsey victoria which is about an hour a bit from here from the city and you know it was a gig for for free to do five minutes and it was at a street festival and it rained so there was just a dad with an umbrella and his son in a raincoat and there's me like still trying to you know just do it because the stage time was important to me at the time i'm like far out i get five minutes this is so cool
0: and then um
1: and then what happened was like my boss who did support like i always give him a lot of props because he allowed me to do those four days a week which meant that i didn't then so when i did comedy it was purely a passion like a pure a quality chasing rather than uh Financial. So I was like, I was never in a rush to quote unquote make it as a comedian because I loved the work itself so much and I didn't have to worry about the work not re- equating to money because I had the yeah. accounting job in the daytime so my boss really supported yeah. me that way and you know i kept working for him until 2016 uh uh when i went full-time i kept shaving yeah. off a different day each week i think uh, <laughs> like i went to four days a week three days a week two days a week and then finally when i was just one day a week, he goes man do you need to be here <laughs> i'm like not really i guess if you, yeah. you know, he's like well I don't think I can afford to pay you for one day a week. You don't really do much yeah. on one day. <laughs> so how about we yeah. call it? I'm like, yeah, fair enough. And I love that it comes full circle because, uh, he is now my accountant. <laughs> so I li- literally, he's the one who lodges my taxes and all that for me now. And, and I still get invited for all the Christmas parties and stuff. So I have a, oh, nice I have a one. lot of love for my old accounting
0: boss. Man. Um, that's see that, that to me is just, it, it speaks absolute like, um, it just shows the depth of the passion right i mean doing a show for free in the rain in Romney, yeah in front of uh, you know uh, two people or a person and a half a father and his son right like it's yeah, incredible yeah. um but yeah, one and a half men.
1: it was my own <laughs> sitcom
0: <laughs> but, mate, but
1: what- i actually always remember you um uh, when I ran into you on the street, remember that time?
0: I remember that,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was my first ever uh, show uh, at the Melbourne Fringe, so it would have been, like, September. And uh, we were doing it, like, a 25-seater. It was me and four other mates. And four of us and we still couldn't get in 25 people <laughs> each like as in uh, the total number of the venue yeah. not even 25 20 20 was the cap and we couldn't fill yeah. it so we were out with flyers on the streets on on russell street that. and and burke street trying to get people to come and see us to fill a 20-seater out and i ran Man. into you and i think were you, were you finishing work or something like
0: that you i think i, th- I think I was finishing work and i just i remember yeah. doing a double take because I, I saw i saw this <laughs> this guy handing out flyers and i'm like Fuck, I'm pretty sure that's that's still from Uni, and, then, um, and and the thing was, man, like, I I remember you outside of the comedy game. You were literally one of the funniest people I knew. But but that doesn't always necessarily mean that you're going to be a good comedian, right? But to me, I'm like, fuck oh, this, twisted, this thanks, yeah. yeah. I'm like, this makes sense. I'm like, I'm like, this guy's hilarious, and now he's doing comedy. And um, I actually remember going into one of your shows, and I, I counted the heads. It was about 13 people in that. In that room, I can't remember where it was. It was a small room, but I, I just remember, man, like you—you you absolutely killed it. You absolutely killed it on <laughs> in front that of yeah. And and um, that
1: was that the one at at Fed Square, Under where you sort of at in Flinders Street, uh, at Fed Square. There's like a little yeah. thirty-seater. Uh, there's like bleach seating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I uh, think that yeah. was
0: the one. And I just remember, I remember, it, man, you were killing it so hard that there was one Thank woman you, that. She was she was laughing so loud <laughs> that I was like, "Oh man, I don't know how Deal was keeping his shit together because her laugh was to me was also funny." And I right, am right. looking at you and I'm like, "Man, this guy this guy's legit pro." I'd be right I'd be in tears like laughing at this woman's laugh. But I just remember you you were, you had this stage presence. You were, you were smashing it, man. And those were still the early early days.
1: Yeah, thank you, mate. Yeah, yeah. I think. um I think the laugh, if someone's got a particularly, you know, interesting laugh, it's a real balance between when do you acknowledge it, when do you not? Because if you do acknowledge it, subconsciously tells the rest of the crowd, I better not laugh out loud because he'll point me out too. So everyone gets too, Um, um, you know, you don't want to make them feel self-conscious about their laughter you want them to feel like I can burst out laughing and it, you know, no one's going to notice me. Do you know what I mean? It's a real fine balance. But if you have someone with a really distinctively like massive cackle, if you don't acknowledge it, then the crowd stops trusting you going, is he just on autopilot? (laughs) Like is he even here? You know what I mean? So it's a real, it's a weirdly enough, that's one of the more harder high wire acts to do because if it's a heckler who's being rude, you can smash him and you know, the crowd's going to be on your side
0: yeah right? yeah
1: and whereas if it's someone who is on who's you know is a, is a is a fan and is enjoying it you can't really take them to task because they're not yeah. in control of their laugh like you know what i mean in fact me yeah. i have a terrible massive laugh you know and oh, it makes to it, i'd mate? hate Don't for it to- yeah <laughs> but I feel bad like if I'd feel shit if I'm enjoying a show and and someone goes hey who's that idiot with the fucked laugh you know like <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so I try to make sure that I don't single people out yeah. In, even when I do crowd work I, I always make sure I say only if you're comfortable raise your hand and then yeah. I'll ask a question because for me I love comedians who are able to roast the crowd and stuff like that I'm not against it but it's just yeah. not my vibe like I prefer yeah. if the crowd's like you know, consenting to being talked at because I've yeah. been in there. I've been in the situation where a comics ask me questions, and I find it so confronting. You know, uh, yeah. and and I just kind of wish they'd just leave me alone. I just want to watch the show. You know, yeah. So I I always go to the crowd, going, "Hey, is there anyone in here comfortable enough to say blah blah blah?" And then we chat about that. You know, yeah. what I mean? So whatever the question might be.
0: Yeah, no, that 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 makes complete sense. And and have you have you ever had? or well, I'm I'm assuming you've had hecklers in that, but. Have you ever ever had a heckler where you just thought to yourself, like, shit, I don't think I won that one?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I would say... Look, the only time... And this is not even trying to be braggy. This is not just me, but 99% of the time, or maybe even a higher percentage, the heckler never wins. Like, the odds are stacked against the heckler so much that it's so rare for the heckler to win because... The comedian has a microphone. The comedian uh, is most likely sober, uh, and the heckler is usually drunk.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the comedian has the 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 whole crowd on his side, his or her side, and the heckler is sort of got the crowd against them. So yeah, you know, there's a very rare chance that a heckler is gonna beat the comedian. But the only time I can think of is when I got heckled by uh, like this seventy. 70- 80 year old like a nana and and she was wait, 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 one of wait, the wait, hardest where, to deal where with was this where was this this uh, this was at the comics lounge in north melbourne no and shit. why it was so hard is because even though she was rude and talking loudly and all that there was i was i was the crowd was on my side the whole way through but there was one or two sentences that i went too hard and the uh-huh. crowd automatically went, Oh, you just now you're just attacking an old woman. Do you know what I mean? Like even though <laughs> even though yeah. if that was the same words were coming out of like a young dude, it would have been completely rude and 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 you know shitty of that person. Like she was a shitty person. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter oh, what yeah. age you are, <laughs> <If> you're an, <laughs> yeah. an is an asshole, right? Yeah. But because everyone then saw their own grandmas or whatever or their moms in that lady you know you start to feel and and i and i realized that's one of the hardest hecklers to deal with is the the vindictive elderly person (laughs) because you have to draw you have to really walk a thin line before you start to become a bully yourself yeah even though they're the bigger bully like they're the ones who are you know, undercutting yeah. me. I, I, I genuinely don't even remember what she said, but that was definitely one where I felt the crowd turn on me. Yeah. And I don't think I, I think I had to just kind of ignore it and just keep doing my act and not really yeah. win them back after that. I think, well, you know, more or less, but definitely I remember the the tide turning against me. It was, they yeah. were on my side and I think I made yeah. one call just too hard and boom, it just the shifted momentum yeah. shifted going ooh, you know I'm like man. fuck if i didn't say that one <laughs> sentence i would have won that so in that sense i guess she wanted yeah. it because she got the crowds on on her side in the end
0: yeah or and and like you're you're on stage as well it's not like you can exactly just be like okay i'm gonna go backstage and hide out for a little bit and then come back out it's like you just completely yeah the
1: yeah man and it's also people f- sometimes underestimate what the level of out-of-body experience live performances are. So it's yeah. like there are there are times where you tap into, you know, I think people describe it as flow, where especially if I'm yeah. not doing, if I'm doing crowd work as opposed to my material, right? Yeah. There are things that I say that I didn't realize I was going to say and I start laughing yeah. in my head going, fuck, that yeah. is funny. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's like, yeah. it's almost like it's not even coming from me. It's, it's coming from... Yeah like some other source that's kind of coming through me. you know what I mean? So the same thing that works well for you sometimes goes the other way where I'll say something and I'm like, whoa, Dill. (laughs) Oh, mate, don't say that. (laughs) But people never fully can appreciate that because, yeah, look, it's still my responsibility, the words that come out of my mouth, and I will, you know, live or die by those words. But... There are times that, you know, the way circumstances set up, it's a thing that I would have never said in other situations that comes out. Like, people talk about this when they're watching game shows at home. They'll be seeing, like, who wants to be a millionaire or whatever, and they're like, oh, I know that answer, and they'll, you know, easily get all the answers on the couch. But once you're there, you know, Eddie Maguire staring at you, people freeze up. So the same yeah. similar mechanism can happen to you when you perform and you're getting heckled at, like, you yeah. know, your fight fight or flight response is like, pooh, you're operating yeah. pure on your amygdala at that point. Cause yes, there's no time to worry about, you know, uh, thinking ahead of time. You just have to yeah. say what's coming at you and you're really like, yeah. I, I remember my worst ever heckle was in 2016. Um, and that's how much of an impact it has on Yeah, I know yeah, it was 2016. <laughs> 2016 Gold Coast uh, yeah. at Southport Sharks. Uh, they have like a venue. And it was not for the yeah. team itself, but it was like a, like an RSL kind of, not RSL, sorry, like a game, um, Porky's kind of set up. It was a t- yeah. badly set up gig. And within, I had to do 40 minutes, and within three minutes of me getting up on stage, a dude at the front row, right at the front, him and his mates, he was wearing like a Bronco stuff, I think. Yeah. He goes, piece off stage, you curry munching prick. And and I was like, Ooh, I've got 37 more minutes to go. And I actually, Jeez. to be honest, I have every right to kind of, you know, walk away saying, hey, I don't need to deal with this bullshit. Like yeah. it was a terrible gig, right? It was all of it was bad. But I took it as a personal challenge to see what I can do with yeah. it. And I didn't. I kept hitting him because I don't. I when I deal with hecklers, I don't go too hard. I actually go like. i i i I don't i try my best not to lose my cool in fact i'll tell you something about that after this story but um yeah uh i just made him feel so shit about what he was doing and how much he was embarrassing himself in front of his mates and stuff that he just kept you know saying shit and then he just finally walked away and you know there's so many other things that happened that it was 40 minutes that i held my own and i kept i saw bill burr do this with some bad hecklers once where he kept counting down how many minutes he had left in, uh, in Philadelphia?
0: Was, yeah, I've seen that one in
1: Philly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that, that video popped into my head and I kept counting down how many minutes I have left. I'm like, all right, I've got 29 more minutes to go and then I do another bit. I'm like, all right, 25 more minutes to go and I kept doing that. So I was yeah. completely in com- control and in, confident, uh, in, in control and confident. And yeah. then I swear, George, I said, all right, that's my time. Thank you, good night. And I walked off stage and I fell to the ground shaking. Like my whole body, like I just fell on my knees and I couldn't stop. Like my shoulders, my whole torso was shivering because I'd been holding that tension in for 40 minutes uh, because, you know, because you're, pre- you're presenting like yeah. you're in control and charge. But yeah. deep down, it's a scared, scared Sri Lankan boy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, mate, like considering so, where you were as well, fuck.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like, I, 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 I told the book, I'm like, man... I'm hiding here as soon as we're ready to go. Please don't leave my sight because I am not feeling safe. Like I really don't feel safe. And that was probably one of the worst heckle experiences of my life. Uh, But I wanted to say quickly about the idea of not losing my cool. So I would say that, you know, I was really good with hecklers, but I would admit that in recent times, or maybe a couple of years ago, I actually became bad at dealing with hecklers because I was losing my cool. And because I was not being able to, I was getting really angry at them and I couldn't understand why, because I'm like, I used to be so good at this. Like now I'm just taking it really fucking personally. And then it hit me that a heckler now to me reminds me of all the times that I was drunk and messy and so when they're behaving that way, it's just reminding me of all my own shame and my own baggage. Uh, that in that moment I'm getting angry at myself rather than them, and I'm like projecting all my insecurities onto the heckler. Going, I'm like, oh, that's what you used to behave like. See, look how much you would have embarrassed your family and you embarrassed yeah. your friends and your you know your exes. All of them. See, this is how you used to yeah. look in front of them. And like that shame would take over me, and I would yeah. get angry at that person, even though it was really just me. So now. Now when it happens yeah. i'm like remember you're so four years sober there's no need to get angry yeah. at this guy
0: <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, play like cool yeah
1: well no but yeah but i have to talk myself into it because the instinct is to to project because i think we always kind of you know all the way we operate always we operate is based on our own experiences right so a lot of the times i always realize that it says so much more about yourself than it is about the other person so if i'm yeah, like yeah. You know, it's rare for me to get jealous about someone, but if I am jealous or if I get resentment, I'm like, oh, why am I resenting them? Oh, it's because yeah. that's something I'd like for myself. And I'm like, well, have you done the yeah. work for that? No, well, then fucking do it or stop complaining, <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, so exactly right.
1: Just learning to use that as feedback rather than as a valid thought that you need to kind of let it fester.
0: Yeah, well, it I, like heckling for me is counterintuitive because you've paid money to go see something and go get you know like you you've, you've paid for a show to get delivered to you mm. and and then all of a sudden you're going in there and being a dick and not only just you know disturbing the experience for yourself but you're disturbing it for however other many people are there right um, it's
1: really interesting because yeah. i think again a lot of the time the heckler tends to be the person who might have been the funniest person in that group and their sense of self-worth or their Identity, their position in the group is getting threatened because all of a sudden they're not the funniest person in the group, or if they're um, with a a partner that they want to try and you know uh, uh, impress, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, that person, like if they see their you know a date or someone yeah. laughing and he, they're like, hey, she's laughing yeah. at him, fuck, I better you know stand my authority, or yeah. or sometimes it's just groups of like. People on bachelor parties or, or bucks or hen's nights yeah. who just don't care. Like yeah. they're just so inconsiderate. They're like, Yeah, it's my birthday. Yeah You know, no. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not about you, asshole. Like, so <laughs> yeah. I think I think uh, and here's the thing, so there are some great moments that come from heckles as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like everyone always thinks that they're helping that's one of the most common things we talk about in the comedy scene where someone goes, I gave you, I helped you out there. It's like, no fuckhead. You distracted us from what I actually planned on doing. I had much better shit to talk about, but we wasted time dealing with your insecure bullshit, you know? Um, And that is, for me, a heckle is different to when a comedian throws a question out and then gets answers. Do you know what I mean? There's a difference between those two things. Like a, heckle is where you're interrupting and one of the worst things i uh, my pet peeves is if i'm in the setup of something and someone yells in the middle of it <laughs> i'm like yeah um... oh fuck all right how do i start this again you know <laughs> whereas in my show i'll always have like two or three moments where there are specific questions that i ask um there was a year i did about phobias and i asked the crowd you yeah. know if you're comfortable what phobias do you have if you don't mind talking about it or you know a couple of years later i think i i think the show last year was just about um fitness and stuff i talked about yeah. um apple watches and stuff and wanted to know yeah. what different people's experiences with that because in fact oh perfect i've got the story for you about when a heckler came off better than me right i just forgot oh, oh, it just popped right. in my head so it was not you, quite a heckler but so yeah, the yeah. story you just it just hit me i'm like this is a, oh you know, a perfect is this example. a repressed memory <laughs> no 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 so yeah. so the sh- the bit i had was about yeah. how when I was really fat, before I even started doing any exercise, I I spent more time shopping for shoes and Lululemon. (laughs) Like I I did everything but exercise. Like I was like, all right, no, no, no. I can't start exercising without the right shoes. All right, I'll get the shoes. Okay, I can't exercise until I get the right outfit, you know? So those types of things. And then eventually I'm like, you know... Fuck, what else? Apple Watch. So I went and bought, like, an Apple Watch. Yeah. And th- that's not entirely true. I'd already started, but, it you know, it was funny to yeah. say that, you know, I bought all these things. Anyway, so the point of the story was about how Apple Watches, I think, are overrated because they, in my head, they promised to be tracking all my fitness and keep me motivated and shit. But instead, I find it really annoying because it keeps, like, sending alerts about, you know, um, um, that you know hey you know time to drink some water or hey time to go for a walk or time to breathe and things like that and and about now how i pretty much only use it to change music on my songs so in fact i'm using less of my effort because i'm not even standing up to get the phone like i'm just sitting on my couch (laughs) you know i'm not not even doing that anymore right so it was about that and it was about like asking the crowd you know what are their experiences with apple watches or i think the question was what's your favorite thing about the apple watch and and you know, it's always the same answers. You know, I use it for text messages. I use it for changing music. I use it uh, to count my steps or whatever some, Whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And always I have a follow-up to that, which is, you know, me smashing it and talking about how shit it is, or whatever. So it's, yeah. I'm always safe. Except this one time, I think the bloke's name was Grant. That's how much it pierced my head. So I was like, he's like, who has an Apple Watch here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, what's your name, man? Oh, Grant. Oh, Grant. Cool. What's your favorite thing about the Apple Watch? And he goes, oh, well... It once, uh, basically, I was sitting on the couch and it realized I was having a heart attack. So it then called the emergency services and it saved my life. <laughs> 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 Completely undid my entire bit. <laughs> like, just absolutely smashed my entire premise that Apple Watch is a shit. It literally, <laughs> literally saved his life. And he wasn't even, like, lying. Like, it was a... Like a true story of how it has a function where it checks your heart rate. And because he was not moving, the heart rate kept going up. And it was like, oh, this is unnatural. And so sort of started beeping and then started suggesting to call the emergency services because we think we're having a heart attack. And they called the services and they showed up and saved his life. Oh, shit.
0: (laughs) Did you finish the joke?
1: I couldn't. I called him a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> a cunt
0: it can't It
1: was I, I have the recording of it somewhere and it, it 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 is I have to even say it might have been my favorite moment of that tour because yeah. it was such a humbling experience because I think uh, I think the way it went was, Grant, you can't. <laughs> and, and, and I genuinely fell on the stage, like laid laid my head down. And I'm like, man, I have nothing. I can't. There's nothing I can go from there. It's, oh, you know, God. like I had like, a, like, obviously I'm playing it out, but I had like, like yeah. a mental breakdown on stage. Yeah. I said, Grant, I've done this show 35 times and I've always always been able to finish this bit but i don't know where to go from here but you proved it prove yeah, me wrong sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he absolutely destroyed that bit and then the beautiful thing about stand-up comedy is then i can take that story the next day and use it in, as part of material yeah. now yeah you know, so it was uh, it was a little blessing in disguise but how why, like yeah that, that that was one where there was i i had to you to put your hand up and say I lost this one. <laughs> Grant wins.
0: Yeah. To man. Rook Zero. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: mate, on, on that note, I'm just conscious of time. So I'll...
1: Yeah, so yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. cool.
0: Man, just just on that note, like I, I really want to know, mm. you know, first of all, I do need to mention making Pulse Magazine in Sri Lanka, the front cover. Mate, like your, your smile, like your smile right there says it all. Yeah. Just, just how much, like that? that is just such a, an achievement and and given your you know wh- where you're from like shit that yeah that, that, like how, how did that feel well obviously you knew that was going to happen but once it came out you know, did well you, did actually you
1: talk- i didn't even oh you didn't know yeah it? that was huge for me uh because oh. we it initially it was no no i knew it was coming but yeah. the initial pitch was just a little article to do i think for their online version yeah uh, and just an article you know in the magazine yeah but then i think the interview went so well that they were like oh we want to make it the feature and we would like to make you the cover and i was like oh for real and for me you know Sh- sri lanka is such a big part of who i in you know there's literally a flag behind me yeah. on my wall back yeah. there and which is really getting interesting because it's been 16 years in australia 19 years in sri lanka so it's starting uh, yeah. to become half and half now yeah yeah. It's really strange. It's an odd feeling, but, yeah. um, but to me to, to have that show up in my, you know, motherland and, um, you know, cause all the work that I do here is kind of self-contained to Australia. Yeah. Um, and it's only in the last couple of years that I've started doing stuff overseas. Um, so that was huge. And I think it's like, having a picture of my parents in that magazine when they first saw me headline, like that, that photo is literally still like, you know, my wallpaper on my phone. Like, because that, that, that's the moment that I decided it was November, 2017. I decided, decided it was my peak career because I, not even to sound morbid, but I didn't think that I was headlining the comics lounge that night. uh, And that's the venue that I performed at for the first time ever, you know, the five minutes that I bombed. And it's, the fact that I was headlining that night and my parents were in the crowd meant so much to me because not to sound morbid, but I didn't think they would be around by the time things worked out for me. <laughs> like yeah, I, I always yeah. knew this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. There was no doubt about that. Like I would keep going no matter what was the idea. Yeah. And all I ever wanted was to live off, live full-time off it. And yeah. so when they got to see it, I was like, oh, well, that was it. That's all I've been chasing, (laughs) you know? Like everything from this point, from that point onwards, of course, you know, is still, I appreciate it and I'm super grateful for, but I genuinely treat it as bonus. So all the things that I, I, you know, achieved that you mentioned at the top of the podcast all happens after November, 2017, and which I love and adore that it happened, but they're all bonus for me because the number one thing was, my parents got to see it work out so as i keep saying to them like even even if it all goes to shit from here like you know and something like a pandemic where there's no live comedy it's kind of resembles that uh, um it still doesn't hurt as much for me as it would have because i've already done more than i planned to with it yeah (laughs) so it's like i keep saying so dad keeps saying things like oh it's such a shame this happened because you know things were just starting to pick up for you i'm like no what's the point of I said, I appreciate what he's saying, but I was like, well, there's no point mourning the things that could have been because we're wasting time, not celebrating the things that happened, you yeah. know, like yeah. the things that actually happened is there. Let's, let's be happy that we've, you know, I, I had this and this happen to me that my parents saw me before my brother saw me in yeah. London. Like those are the biggest things that I never thought I was going to ever get to do. And, Oh, I hope to do. And I didn't yeah. think it was going to happen when he did. So for me, I'm like, this is all bonus. This is like the yeah. the victory lap. Like I always, do you know like uh, the AFL two thousand and seven Grand Final when Geelong played Port Adelaide? They they pretty much won the match in the first quarter, and yeah. the second, third, and fourth quarters it was just like a exhibition match, right? Yeah. Because they knew they won, but in those quarters it's not like they they took the foot off the pedal. They kept playing well, but yeah. they enjoyed it a lot more so yeah. for me i felt like you know in terms of what i wanted to achieve with comedy i did it yeah and now anything from here up or down is just gravy so yeah you know if if things turn out that the pandemic is so severe that we never have live comedy again i'm like that sucks don't get me wrong i would hate yeah. that to happen yeah. but i'm pretty happy that i actually even had a little
0: little taste of it while it lasted man do um Look, and I'd I, I I'd kick myself if I didn't ask you this question before we wrap up, mate. Well, just oh, yeah. f- first of all, objectively, what a fucking mm. mentality, man. That is that is an absolute like positive of a positive mentality to have. You know that sort of that gratitude for what you have achieved, and not not sort of being like, oh, why is this like X, Y, and Z in the pandemic? It's it's an awesome attitude and the right attitude. But was there ever yeah, a I- time? Yeah, go on.
1: No, 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 no. It was like, yeah, I appreciate you saying yeah. that because, yeah, it is a it is something that I'm very big on because yeah. it's something that I realized was, you know, it's, it's if, weirdly enough, my show that got canceled, like the the, the, yeah. the, the the, one I was touring was about that. The idea of gratitude being my my only genuine talent yeah. <laughs> is being able to look to to be able to look at a situation and quickly dive into what why it's, why. It's not as bad as I instinctively feel. So it's not like I'm saying. So something like the pandemic or someone dying, there's never going to be a situation I'm like going to say, "Oh, I'm glad that happened." Of course not. Like it's fucking awful. Yeah. But now that it has happened, what can I do with that? Is something that comes fairly naturally to me now. Like that's the that I sort of say that's the only genuine talent I have. Everything (laughs) else I had to work hard to get to. Whereas being grateful was something that just is kind of in me. But I still formalize it. Like I still. Uh, do a gratitude list every morning. Yeah. I do, uh, I've updated, I do it where I do three things that I'm grateful for from yesterday. So three yeah. things that went well for me.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I look at three things that I can do kind for someone today. And I look at three things that I'm excited about for tomorrow. I so like that, that kind man. of grounds me in this, in this three different space, because what was good yesterday? Who can I be, who can I help today? And what's, um, What's something to look forward to tomorrow? Yeah, and I'll be honest, the tomorrow thing is fucking hard because there's yeah. really little to look. You made the list uh, yesterday's uh, list, yeah. I reckon. Yeah. I put a uh, first to something to get excited about. I was like, oh, podcast with George. Like well, I swear, I'm, I'm not honored, even making mate. that up. I'm honored. Yeah, mate. because well, I, actually, I realize I framed it by saying I'm sort of scraping the barrel, and that's how you ended <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I'm I just I'll realized. Fucking oh it. shit.
0: I'll take just it. Just take
1: it, man. I'll take just it. Just take it. You just, you just beat out sushi, right? No. <laughs> that was the other one. <laughs> but yeah, it. I'd say, I appreciate you saying Sushi's that because delicious. it is something i
0: <laughs> But yeah, man. Mate, yeah, sorry. Uh, thank you. Uh, oh, what were going to say? I, sorry. Oh, no. I, I do the exact same thing. So I, I, we've got a little jar, right? And and every day, I'll just write something and I'll date it. And then I'll put it in the jar. Then at the end of the year... Um, or whoever sees the jar and, and writes something, will open it up at the end of the year and just read through it. And it's just a really cool. way. Oh. yeah, it's it's a really cool dude. It so up tell me, history. so
1: you write you write something on there with the
0: date. Yeah, yeah. So like, let's say, um, what's the date today? Today's the twenty um, fourth of right? July. Yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll write today. Oh, um, you know, had had a really good podcast with Dill, right? And then I'll put it in. Okay. And then, because obviously I won't release this tonight, it will be release yep. at a different date. But then I'll open it maybe in a year, and then I'll be like, oh shit, you know, um, first of all, I'd probably do a reflection, like, oh, did I, did I continue with the podcast? Why didn't I continue with it? Or, you know, oh shit, like I remember speaking to the dill on that day. We were having such a good laugh, X, Y, and Z, and just inadvertently that starts bringing up really good feelings um, of of memories that happened. And because you've dated it and you've actually written it down it's almost like you've you've given a sort of physical presence to your words by writing it down yeah and then it's, it's like it's
1: memory. a it's tangible yeah exactly The memory right. becomes tangible yeah yeah wow man i'm not even kidding i reckon i'm gonna start doing that Do
0: do it because i don't
1: have a i don't have a nightly ritual so maybe i mean i do have like variation but not like a gratitude one so maybe that can be it yeah i have a I have a mug here that my dad bought from uh, Vic Markets when he was here. He thought this would be appropriate for my desk. It says, a day without laughter is a day wasted. (laughs) 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 So I have it here on my writing desk. And all it has is just, you know, lip balm and a (laughs) slinking. Because (laughs) I'm too, um, too, you know, but maybe that's what it can be. I just chuck a thing I'm grateful for into that. And then at the end of the year, go through that. That's awesome, man. Dude,
0: do that and get other people to write things down as well. Because the most amazing thing... Thing about that is is sometimes you will read shit and be like oh I didn't know that I had that impact on that person and I didn't know that, that they appreciated it this much that they actually made a mental note of it and it right. in a weird way just it spurs you on to do um, you know more, more good shit
1: that's incredible. I mean, no one's coming to the house, to be honest, for me to ask yeah, them well, to do that. Maybe post-pandemic, post-pandemic. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'll wait for the
1: Uber Eats guy. I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> can you just say something nice about me? Yeah. And I needed it for my George jar. But yeah, no, a- dude, I'm, all joking aside, that is a brilliant one. And I and yeah. I genuinely am going to take that on board. I think I'll get yeah. little post-it notes. I think post-it note should be enough, right? Crumple
0: up a post-it yeah. note? Yeah, a little post-it note does fine. But do I? All right, great. Uh, do I know we're over um, about uh, over our time? And um, yeah, we we'll if, s- if I can squeeze one more question out of you, mate. And I will, yeah, I will, man. I've done asked this. So, one one thing that that's amazing about about you and watching your career is, is that I got to I got to see you sort of in your raw form at uni, right? Like you were just this genuinely nice guy. Um, and for me, I, when I went to uni, I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. And so I was like, all right, I'll yeah. do commerce and see where it takes me, right? And I was really nervous about starting it and you were the president of the commerce committee at the time. And you were so genuine, and nice and you made everybody around you feel comfortable. So for me to sort of see you go through your career and, and you know, you still have that humility about you, um, even though you know, you've, you've made all these TV shows and that sort of thing. But was there ever a point in time In your career, where you thought to yourself, "Fuck," you know that was either such a bad show, or I'm not, I'm not fully committed to this, and you thought about quitting, right? And what did you draw? Oh, yeah. About quitting? Yeah, like was ever a time where you just Uh, so two
1: questions? Okay, so there've been shows that I know were really bad. Yeah, and that's always like always round the corner. Like you, you know, a a, a bomb, a bad gig is always round the corner and um again post pre-pandemic yeah, you know yeah, post-pandemic yeah. things are different but let's say pre-pandemic yeah. um and especially in the lead up to a new tour i go to open mics and i'll test out new material and you know there's a fair chance that i'll do 10 minutes of material that gets nothing at an open mic you know yeah, yeah. but that's just part of my process i'm not a big writer i don't i don't write things down yeah. as much uh, i do bullet points and i take the bullet point on stage i'll flesh it out on stage, and then I'll go home, listen back to it, and then add to the bullet point. You know, so that's yeah. how I do it. So, for me, I only know if it works or not in front of people, because yeah. I'm a very hardworking performer, but I'm a lazy writer. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. if I'm not getting validated, if I'm not getting the attention, I don't want to do this. I want to, I want people <laughs> to pat me on the back as this happening, you know? Yeah. So, again, like I said, I have an ego Like to go full circle, When I realized that my ego motivates me and that's how I used it for my weight loss. I was like the same way with comedy. I'm like, I like getting attention, so I'll use it there. Um, But in terms of quitting, if I'm being 100% honest, zero. Like it was from day one, like I said, it was, there was no evidence to show me that I was going to, it's going to work out for me, but I knew this is all I'm ever going to be happy doing. Now, yeah. I might quit now, like, yeah. you know, what I mean, who knows? Like, But yeah. up to this point, uh, as we're speaking, 24th of July, 2020, yeah. uh, I've never had that thought of quitting because um, I've, I've, I've entertained the idea of what life would look like if I had to quit. Yeah. And to get a little bit deeper, I guess it's like I realized that my love for stand-up comedy, similar to my love for food and booze and all these things, was getting to the unhealthy end end of things, where I realized that if a gig went badly, rather than seeing it as, oh, that was a bad gig, I felt I failed rather than treating it as this is what I do and this is who I am. They both became one thing. So if the yeah. job was going well, my, you know, uh, dopamine is high. I'm feeling good about my self-worth and my self-confidence yeah. is high. As soon as I'm south, I'm feeling like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. I'm a loser. I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think that was a healthy relationship to have. Yeah. So since that gig where my parents saw me, I have made a lot of effort to try and distance myself from the work I do and why I think I'm a good person. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I w- it was yeah. too linked. My self-worth was was too linked to the idea of being a stand-up comedian because that was something I wanted to do for such a long time. That the fact that it happened made me feel like, oh, now I'm worthy of people's love and respect because I'm a stand-up comedian. But that's not true. That's like, you know, uh, it's dangerous, in fact, because, yeah, like now, if you fast forward to 2020 where there's a pandemic and there's no live comedy... I would be in pieces because my identity was at that time so strongly linked to the idea of being a stand-up that when the stand-up's yeah. taken away, then I feel worthless. But because I made a conceded effort to distance myself from it yeah. and just enjoy it as work and not who I am, that I think I was able to go, okay, well, works, pause now, but I can do the, I'm still a good person. I can still, you know, yeah. uh, feel like I'm worthy of people's love and respect because I, you know, try and do this and this and this, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah learning to that it's only one facet of who i am and it's a facet i love don't get me wrong i love that i get to do this it's a you know literal dream yeah. job and like i said that's i yeah. never felt like i wanted to quit because i never felt so happy doing something just for doing it you know what i mean like yeah. uh, going back to video games it was like playing video games it didn't matter i wasn't rushing to finish a level and, you know, yeah. get the cheat codes. I didn't want the cheat codes. I'm like, no, I yeah. want to see this level. I want to explore it more. I want to see what's yeah. under what goes <laughs> through this tunnel. And, you know, yeah. let's break this box and see what's in it. Like, I was yeah. happy playing the level. And then gradually just the levels kept changing on me. But yeah. I never felt like I was going to ever quit because I wasn't motivated by. the the success factors like financial or status wasn't the things that were driving me. It was, do I get to do the work and is my work getting better with each performance? So I made a decision that I wanted to walk out of a gig, a better comedian than I was when I walked in every single time. So it didn't matter if it was, you know, 15, 2000 people at the Palais, Uh, in St Kilda or it was 13 people with George from uni you know I wanted to do the best job I can do that night because that way I walk out of that venue better than I was when I walked in yeah so so treating everything as like the win was in the chance that the fact that the microphone was in front of me and there are people listening that was my win so everything else from there is I have to make the most of it for myself you know mate I love that so for me Yeah. So for me, it was never like a, a thing that I felt like if I don't go full time by this point or if I don't become a headliner by this age, it didn't it didn't matter. I was just going to do this forever. And um, and that's why I think the parents thing became such a big deal for me, because I didn't feel like there was evidence to say that it was going to work out while they were alive. Yeah. Like, I know that sounds grim, but that is how shit I was when I started. <laughs> or like or rather, you know, yeah. you even touched on it as, as yourself when you said that, you know, here's deal, he was funny in uni, but doesn't necessarily mean it works as a comedian. Like yeah. there's a different must, like it's a different language when you're doing it on stage versus being funny with your friends. Yeah. So I had to learn those things. and And the first few years, there wasn't signs of it. <laughs> so, but because I love the work so much and I always, and I think about it, the fact that, you know, when I started a lot of the same comedians that I started with, not very few of them are around. And a lot of them were funnier than me, better writers than me, better performers than me. But I remember being, there were two things that I had on over them, which is number one, the conviction that this is all I was going to do. It was never a hobby for me. That's why I walked into my boss's office and said, all right, one day off a week, please. Uh, So it was always my full-time was comedian, part-time was comedy, even though because money wasn't the factor. And the second thing I realized was, and to date, uh, to be honest, to date, I think this still is true. I, in the Melbourne scene, at least, I don't think there's anyone who loves stand-up as much as I do. And and my friends used to make fun of me about how much I'd go watch comedy even if I wasn't on. And they said that'll, ah, that'll, you'll get over it when you're five years into it. And now I'm 10 years into it and I'm still like the same guy who'll be like sitting at the back of the room even though I'm not on. They're like, what are you mm, doing yeah. here? I'm like, I, I just want to see comedy. I yeah. fucking love this. Like, this is, yeah. like you know, uh, it, it always blows my mind when people don't realize how cool it feels. Like, uh, other comedians, when they get so bitter about the industry i'm like but we get to play (laughs) like we get to have like uh, uh, the the something that happened to me in 2012 i may have mentioned this the last time we i was on your pod was about how i bought tickets to see a will anderson show and i hadn't checked my voicemail uh but his management had called up and and asked me to open for him but i hadn't checked the voicemail i just bought a ticket to go and watch (laughs) it and (laughs) And, and then like uh, two weeks before the show, I listened to voicemail and they're like, hey, it's such and such from, you know, management. Uh, we were wondering if you're free to, uh, be, uh, Will Anderson is asked if you're uh, free to do opening for him. I'm like, open for him? I bought tickets to watch him. <laughs> this is, like, so the, the idea that there was something that I was so excited to watch that I bought tickets to watch ended up being the thing that I was on stage getting paid to do. That to yeah. me still stands as one of the... The probably one of the best achievements I've ever had in this career yeah. is just the idea that I was able to be part of something that, that I was, you know, excited about just watching and then to mate. know that I was part of the cast that night.
0: Yeah, and mate, yeah, like, and it's
1: pretty cool because now Will Anderson's manager is my manager as well. So that's kind of like happened? come full circle as well.
0: <laughs> Man, I, I, <laughs> I love that. I love that there was no, no plan B for you mm. and, and that you were just sort of like, nah, fuck it, it's, it, it's this or nothing.
1: yeah yeah yeah, exactly i i think but i will also put a caveat i think it's only fair that i mention that there were certain circumstances that allowed me to think like that like i didn't have kids to worry about i didn't have uh, i had a boss who was supportive like my accounting boss paul he always was part of the dream because yeah. if not for him then i would have struggled so much more and may have not cared like i may have getting did get uh, disheartened about not earning enough money from comedy because you know if i'm not paying for food what's the point of me doing this but because yeah. he supported me during the daytime i didn't have to worry about those things so i didn't have kids i didn't have to worry about my job i didn't have to worry about my parents you know they, yeah. their medical and stuff was all taken care of so as much as i do think that yeah good on me for you know backing myself but also yeah. it was a pretty privileged spot to begin with so yeah there's there's two sides to it
0: oh no look absolutely mate but that that still in essence is a quite a grounded view because think about it this way as well there's a lot of people that would be in that same situation where they have all that support and they still fuck up anyways right so that's that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a really good grounded way to, to approach the situation that touches on my point before being like you've always been this humble dude that that's got this sort of appreciation for things so it's it's a good way um you know to look at it and despite you know what you might consider being things that could have cushioned you on your journey it's still i'd still imagine it's a tough road dude to, like, you, you were out there handing out fucking flyers in the cold yeah
1: in, yeah yeah in the city. yeah yeah. there is a difference between uh saying you know there's privilege but also being tough like don't yeah. get me wrong like yeah. it's it, it, it it's the the mental anguish of talking to a crowd for an hour and them just staring back at you is pretty fucking brutal. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and, and, and especially when it's, they're like, so you're sure accounting? Yeah. yeah cool. <laughs> good luck. Good luck. You know, and um, like, man, it, you know, this is the beautiful thing about standup yeah. uh, is that it humbles you so much. So the, you mentioned the Logie, uh, which I won in July, 2018. So in August 2018, so a month and a bit later, I was in Edinburgh, uh, performing to four people, uh, and I, before that I was handing out flyers again in in the rain, uh, but because of the rain, the flyers got like mulch. So I had yeah. to like peel it off to give it to anyone. <laughs> yeah. And this was like, I'm like a month ago, I won a Australian te- television award, <laughs> <You know? laughs> trying to get people to come to the show yeah. as I'm like peeling this mulch off. But yeah. it's, it's the, it's the cool thing about comedy is again, like yeah. once they're in there, like then there on my terms and the four people that were there i yeah. remember it was what, it was painful don't get me wrong like as in yeah. when the tech guy came and said hey there's only four do you still want to do it i'm like all right how do i how do i find the motivation to do this and i remember thinking yeah. well do you remember your first ever gig standing backstage shaking and shivering and not knowing how this gig's going to go if you told at that point hey you're going to be in edinburgh you're going to have an hour that's killer and there's only going to be four people do you still want to do it i'll be like yeah fuck yeah that sounds awesome And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. There was an excited kid backstage at the Comics Lounge back in 2010 who would love this situation. And I quickly transferred my mentality to that guy. And he was all of a sudden back in there and all excited. And that gig went so well with the four people that two of them came back with more mates a couple of days later. So it was just like, for me, that was a better review than anything I could get where it was like, that job was done so well that they were like, oh, let's let's go support this guy. He was great, you know? And so for me, those moments are the ones that i try and hang on to about how much that you know and and, and and you know to give the flip side i would say the same edinburgh festival there was a night where i had nearly a full house and i was a bit too cocky and up my you know a little bit you know a bit too cool and i fucking died you know what i mean like so yeah so you you really have to keep your shit in check it's a constant yeah. spinning of the wheels you know so you can have a great gig in front of four people because you're in the right headspace or you can have a house full, but you you know, you're not fully committed in the moment as yeah. much as you would hope to be, and no, not do a great enough job, you know?
0: Yeah, oh man, um, Dill, look, I, I've kept you, I've kept you over time, mate. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, right, man, sweet brother. Thank, thanks so much for for doing this. Oh, and mate, my pleasure, man. Congrats on uh, becoming an uncle. What, what, what are you, what's your uncle name? Uncle, Uncle Dill, or is it? Specific... Well, well, it's
1: it's a uh, it's a, so my family calls me Dilu, D-I-L-L-U, to so Dilu, yeah, um yeah. And uh, in Sinhalese, yeah. the your dad's younger brother is called Bappy. Yeah. So we went with Dilubapi and um, and we um, I was given the option actually my brother said what do you want her to call you you know my little niece Isha yeah um And I went with Dilbar because it was sort of what I used to call my uncle, so I felt like it feels nice to sort of get that back in. Uh, But she's eight months old and she has no clue who the fuck I am, and it breaks my heart because I love her so much, and she just stares at the phone like, "Oh God, why am I having to do this again?" You know, I'm (laughs) like, "Please, like," I was like, "I know," and I keep saying to her, "Like," I'm like, "Isha, ah man, like." I've got no kids and a lot of disposable income. Like, you're yeah. going to get it. If, but if yeah. you're going to act like a shit, I'm not going to give you any of that money. <laughs>
0: yeah, how, how dare she act like that at eight months old?
1: Yeah, exactly. She's giving me attitude. I'm like, man, you're getting the inheritance. But if yeah. you don't pull your neck in, I'm going to give it all to charity. Fuck you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's it, mate. Oh, deal, man. All right. Thanks again, dude. And um, look, I'll, I'll pull this together and have it out in, um, in a couple of days. So buddy all right lovely chatting to you bro yeah you too dude I can hear you Thanks.